If your email templates or website are stuck in 2010, or your program brochures look like they could have been made in Microsoft Paint, it's time to give the sponsor of this week's episode a call. Meet Unincorporated. Unincorporated is a higher education agency committed to building awareness, growing enrollment, and launching programs for universities. If Nike and Apple decided to venture into the higher education branding space, their top competitor would be Unincorporated. Meet the disruptors in the education design industry and subscribe to their newsletter to get a weekly download of the most important trends in higher ed at unincorporated.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's unincorporated.com forward slash enrollify. The biggest surprise for me was that there was more room for imagination, for exploration. I think that that was because of the focus on strategy. Okay, Natalie, we are live. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Zach? I am doing I'm doing excellent. I'm in Maine actually right now, which is one of my favorite places in the entire world. So I'm in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, which is north of Portland and like south of Bar Harbor. Um, but it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful right now. That's fantastic. <laughs> and you you are calling from where? New York. Rochester, Rochester New, York. New York. Yes. yes, where we are just getting the beautiful fall weather and uh, everything else. Well, that's exciting. Um, well, I'm excited to to chat with you. Uh, this is uh, part of this special series that we're putting together called What, you know, Was It Worth It? And really what we're after is uh, stories of folks who during the pandemic over the past two and a half, three years have decided to, to leave higher ed and are working at some sort of higher ed adjacent company or, or organization. So I'm really excited to, to chat with you and hear, and hear your story. And I thought to, to kick us off, it'd be great to hear from you the story behind why you decided to, to work in higher ed. Absolutely. Yes. And I love that you're doing this, by the way. I think it's an important story to tell. And it's a trend that I'm really seeing. So uh, for me, in terms of why I came to work in higher ed, I was extremely passionate about where I went uh, for my undergraduate degree. Okay. Which was where? Rochester Institute of Technology. Okay. So you went to RIT. Yes. RIT, the great sort of upstate New York, geeky campus area. Um, And I really just, I felt like I hadn't quite experienced everything. And when I was looking at where I wanted to work, I really just wanted to continue working at RIT uh, or working with people at RIT and giving back and being part of what I felt was this just tremendously vibrant, Hmm. engaging, welcoming community there. And so were you, had you worked there as an, as an undergrad? So I had done sort of volunteer work okay. here and there, uh, ran clubs and different things. And you were just, you just were, by the time you graduated, you're like, yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not quite ready to leave the community. I'm not ready to leave. Yeah. I, I feel like it's maybe a little bit more common now uh, that folks who end up becoming admissions counselors or working in marketing and communications at a college or university, uh, they do so for their alma mater fresh out of school. But 
um, I feel like I feel like that didn't happen as much uh, as as it does now. So that's uh that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, is there is there a, a a scene you can paint or or a story you can tell that that helps us understand like what you what you loved most about your time working in in higher ed? So I was mentioning that RIT was sort of this geeky campus. Uh, at one point, we were actually named the geekiest campus in America. No way. That's hilarious. <laughs> which, was, which was a big deal for us. And this goes to, uh, you know, all of the the massive numbers of people that participated in these humans versus zombies competition on campus and um, Quidditch and a bunch of just the, the level to which people got engaged with mm. all of these just unique things that people at other universities might question, yeah. but here it's just sort of a normal part of the day. And so we were named the geekiest campus in America. And that was a big moment. I think that was like a moment where I went, oh my gosh, I love working here. I love being part of this community because there are others who might say that being named the geekiest campus in America is not something to brag about, <laughs> but we just, we owned it. We just let that flag fly. We really just wanted to uh, very much be known as that, as, as the sort of winner there. And it was all about, we had this sort of week, couple weeks, really celebrating that, celebrating mm. the idea of uniqueness and inclusion and all of the things that came with being sort of the geekiest campus. And this spawned a host of things. So for me, I at the time was running social media for our alumni population. Okay. And there's about 114,000 alumni for RIT. And we had things like uh, the celebrated announcement about being named to the geekiest campus. Um, this was also maybe a couple weeks before April Fool's Day. Okay. So we had this fun April Fool's joke where we talked about uh, the zombie apocalypse courses we were starting to teach. <laughs> and we had sort of a running joke about that. And we, we showed that in such a deadpan way that there were a lot of people that were not sure if we were serious or not. Um, <laughs> and, and just that idea of just being able to, again, be part of that culture, embrace that super unique thing about RIT uh, and have everybody just incredibly excited about it yeah that that was that moment for me i think yeah that that was uh an unexpected answer in the best way possible <laughs> so i i love that was um talk talk to me about the the culture of of your team so like how how, do, how was your team made up and uh were you under a director of marketing communications like structurally how was your team organized Yes, there were some team shifts. Okay. Uh, so originally, when I first started in the role, I was under a uh, director of marketing within alumni relations specifically. Okay. Um, as time went on, that role did change a little bit. It opened up to different things in terms of what my role was involved in. Um, but the department changed. So, And I think a lot of universities went through this. It was no longer just alumni relations. We were combined with development. So mm. it was development and alumni relations. And it really became focused on both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what was the culture of your team like? Like what, 
it, I mean, it sounds like you guys were a dynamic, fun group of people that got excited about zombie apocalypse. But like, what, what, <laughs> what you know, how, how did how did you all relate? Like, talk to us just a little bit about like the cultural makeup of your team. Yeah, uh, in terms of cultural makeup, it was very, it was very much a fun atmosphere. I mean, we would, you know, for Halloween. Um, everybody in alumni relations would dress up and I don't mean just like wear something on their head. I mean, we had one person who would dress like a zombie actually, <laughs> um, or I'm sorry, no, not a zombie like Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Okay. And Close enough. Full makeup, <laughs> wearing like a bloody wedding dress and just walk around campus that way, talking to all the students. And it was very much about this culture of having fun, sort of teasing each other, um, being very engaged in the campus community mm. with the students. And, and so that was really what it was like within the alumni relations portion. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit as we talk about what how things changed and how yeah. things are changing in higher ed. But there was a lot of change once things moved under development because things there function a little bit differently. It's not all about engagement. It's really about certain numbers. And it became a little, I would say that that was more of a formal atmosphere. Hmm, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems based off of what you just described, like this like idyllic, right? Uh, uh, collegiate experience, right? Where where you think about sort of, you know, how, how they did it at Oxford and Cambridge back in the day where like the faculty and the staff and the students are like one community, right? And you, and you, and you feel that energy. Um, and so uh, I'm curious, yeah, as you, as you moved, as, as the reorg happened and the, the structural changes uh, fell into place, what, what, what changed? Uh, you mentioned it was, uh, it became a little bit more serious a little bit more structured but um how, how did that affect i guess your team and and the team's morale i would say that in terms of how it affected the team's morale uh team morale there was no immediate change hmm. in team morale but you did notice a change over time things started operating in a little bit more of the traditional corporate sense okay. uh People would, rather than simply being there to engage the population, engage the alumni, uh, engage donors, it became a little bit more like a sales team. Okay. Where yeah. you had certain numbers that you were expected to meet. Had a quota. Uh, yeah. You were expected to put out. So a lot of expectations put on there. And unfortunately, when you put those expectations on people, when you are in a sales team and you are selling to the same people every yeah. day, yeah. you can't expect that your numbers are going to go up and up and up. So what you found was that you were almost set up to, to fail in certain ways because you didn't have the engagement piece going and you didn't have the numbers building in a way to accommodate the, the growth that they were looking for. Hey everybody, it's Zach from Enrollify here. So it's that time of year when your favorite brands release the best deals on your favorite products. And for the very first time, Enrollify is joining the party. So between now and the end of the year, you can get 50% off any Enrollify cohort or master course. Want to learn more about how to leverage SEO for student recruitment? We've got a cohort on just that, led by the SEO wizards at DD Agency. Or are you ready to learn more about how schools are leveraging TikTok? Enroll in our self-paced TikTok strategy for higher ed cohort. 
or perhaps you are finally ready to join the 550 other higher ed marketers in enrolling in Terry Flannery's master course on how to market a university. Use the discount code EOY50, that's EOY as in end of year, 50, for any of our asynchronous cohorts, or EOY as in end of year, for our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery between now and 1231.22 to receive 50% off. You can learn more at enrollify.org. Happy holidays, everybody. Hmm. So resources for alumni engagement decreased, but the expectations for, you know, the funds that needed to be garnered from the alumni increased. <laughs> yes, precisely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh that is tough. That is that is tricky. It takes a special person to be able to figure out how to crack that nut. Um and you know, <laughs> chances are if they have figured that out, they're probably not working um in in development at a college or university if they're that good um so at what point do you decide to like look elsewhere and did you did you start your uh, you know approach your your kind of like search on your own like were you were you approached by a recruiter like at what point in time do you start thinking hey maybe maybe my time at, at RIT is uh is up one of the reasons that I was working on RIT, I, I mentioned before that I was very interested in working there for the culture that I wanted to be part of giving back to this university. Another part of it was the benefit of being able to get my MBA. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of people do end up working in higher education is so that they do get that benefit of pre-education either for themselves or for their children or their spouses. Yeah. Um, so really, when I started to come to the end of my MBA, that's when I started looking elsewhere. As it turned out, I got my MBA. I finished it in 2020. Oh, um, nice. So, <laughs> so unfortunately, time. there wasn't a whole lot of a job market, and I had to wait <laughs> a little bit. But the truth is that I really ended up, I really had been feeling that urge to explore other avenues mm. for a couple of years. Um, I felt like the culture there had changed. And not just simply in that one department, but throughout the university, it was something that you could feel mm. that there wasn't this excitement. There wasn't this passion about uniqueness and welcoming, inclusive nature uh, as much as had been there before. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't as open to the sort of creativity and imagination that comes with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I feel like one of the reasons at least the people I've been talking to recently, one of the reasons people love higher ed and working in higher ed is is because of the culture, right? Is because of that like dynamic community that exists when you bring brilliant minds together with, you know, fun, spunky young people and like you just throw all those people into a nice mix and you, you know, you get a zombie apocalypse or something like that, right? And like that 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 element, right, of culture isn't isn't to be undermined. It's actually it it's it's a major selling point uh, as to why people come to higher ed and, and why they stay. And so you, you remove that, or that gets watered down, or or it, you know moves or changes in a direction that doesn't doesn't resonate uh, with you in the same way that it did before. That's got to be that's got to be difficult. That's got to be like a real huh, wow, what what am I doing here? Maybe it is time to to do something else. And especially with the jobs there being perhaps not as competitive as mm. some jobs. Uh, that really, if you're there for the culture and the culture disappears, that you don't have that reason, have yeah. any reason 
that separates them. Yeah. Few, few people would say I'm here for the salary, you know? So, um, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately that is true. (laughs) Unfortunately that's true. Yeah. So, um, you get your MBA. How do you decide what to do with respect to your search? So you could have searched for jobs anywhere, right? Um, and you you landed um, at a higher ed uh, agency, and we'll talk about that in just a second here. But like, how did you how did you start your your job search? Were you looking? Were you willing to do anything, or were you pretty committed to trying to find a place that was higher ed adjacent? I would say my main focus, sort of like when I decided to work at RIT, my main focus was on culture. Mm. And so it wasn't necessarily about needing to work in higher ed or among the culture of higher ed, but it was about seeking a similar culture. And as it turned out, I happened to find that in a higher ed uh, facing agency. But I would have certainly explored uh, and did explore many other options in a variety of industries. Yeah, yeah. So you are now working at Vision Point and, um, you know, one of a well-known hired marketing agency. I'm curious, how did how did that transition go for you? Like, were you as you got into it, were you like, oh, my gosh, agency life is 10 times harder than I would have expected or you know, there's no work life balance because I, I do think some of the some of the things that people fear right when making this jump is like well I don't I'm I'm used to representing one brand right how am I going to effectively help multiple brands right and and of course people's roles are, are all different but generally speaking agencies have more than one client right that they're trying to market for so so talk to us a little bit about like what what that adjustment was like what surprised you about it and um you know, what, what, if anything, was has been challenging about it? Well, I would say that I had heard a lot of horror stories about working at an agency uh, that, you know, you they're going to push you to work uh, crazy hours and you're never going to have a work-life balance. And the work there is sort of humdrum. There's not a lot of creativity, you know, all of these things that had been thrown at me. I had a lot of fear going into working in the agency space. It was not a space I'd been in before. And I've had those concerns verified by people that have worked at other agencies. Yeah. But in terms of the agency that I'm in, um, really because, again, the reason I chose to work there was because of the culture. Hmm. And I did find that because there's so much of a focus on this healthy culture within this agency, and I think that's not common necessarily in agencies, um, but this focus on on culture and on well-being of employees and, and really just that sort of uh, creative atmosphere mm. that it was not at all what I was fearing that it might be. Um, I actually found that I think there were pros and cons of choosing to work in an agency. Um, I came from a position where I was the manager uh, of marketing within a uh, college at RIT uh, after working in alumni relations. Okay. And I was wearing multiple hats. So I was very much in this position where I was doing everything. And I was sort of, I was in that position where I was calling all of the shots to a certain extent. Um, And moving into the agency, because it is this much larger team of marketers, you tend to be more very hyper-focused on the type of work that you are expected to do to Mm. contribute to the sort of lineup of 
that uh, makes up the marketing services. Yeah. So I found that I had, in some ways, perhaps less control. I was involved in less. Um, but at the same time, I could leave, I could take vacation and not worry that everything was going to fall apart without me. <laughs> <laughs> that is a beautiful thing. I cannot even describe how wonderful a feeling it is to know that you have so many other people that are capable of taking things on. Yeah. Um, that you can sort of, you have those people to fall back on. Whereas when you are the person that wears all these hats, puts a lot of pressure on you to be there all the time, to handle every crisis, to, and it, it really weighs on you and it wears you down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, um, you know, what, what that must have felt like, right, is that, that sort of relief, right, that you feel um, knowing, hey, you know what, it's okay to go to the beach and leave my phone back at the, the beach house, uh, because the world will not end, um, you know, <laughs> without without me, I'm not I'm not solely responsible for saving the world. Um, what, a, what a cool, what a cool relief there. Um, I'm curious, has anything surprised you about you, you've shared a little bit here, but like, just anything else mm-hmm. that has surprised you about agency life, maybe some misconceptions that you had, um, and or have you, have you learned anything about yourself uh, in this process that that might be surprising or that might have, you know, surprised, you know, past you? I think that my biggest surprise coming from a university that was really known for innovation and imagination and creativity, I expected that there would be less room for imagination going into the agency work than there was working at this university that had all of that sort of embedded into what it was about. Mm. I would say that the biggest surprise for me was that there was more room for imagination, for creative exploration. And I think that that was because of the focus on strategy. Yeah. So particularly, I am a marketing strategist with Vision Point, and not every agency has a strategy team. But because we do, because this is an agency that puts so much focus on strategy, it allows so much more room for that creativity and for the forethought that goes into really making that uh, work and work well. And that was something that was lacking the most I think in higher education, because there was such a focus and a push for implementation and results Mm. that uh, even when we had this fantastic culture and a lot of engagement, that there wasn't room made for the strategy, for the imagination, that oftentimes it was very spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, what a a keen observation. And I, I, I would imagine validating, right? Like validating that, oh, wow, okay, I can... I can, I thought I could express myself creatively or share my ideas, you know, fluidly before. Now, now I can do that. uh, And then some, and in fact, now, like, that's actually what I'm expected to do. um, And, you know, rewarded for. So I think that that's, uh, that's fantastic. What about, I'm I'm curious about, um, like, the reporting structure, right? So like, higher ed tends to be quite hierarchical in nature. um, And there are certainly pros to those, uh, to, to that structure. Although I feel like those pros are a little bit less compelling these days. Um, I hear I hear more people talk about the cons than the pros, I should say. Um, 
I would imagine your structure at your agencies is a little bit different. And I'm just curious, like how, how has it been working with, with leadership and in the context of a, of a really different organizational structure? Yes, it certainly is very different. And I would say it's, there are still very much silos. Um, the silos that existed in higher education do exist in the agency, as long as you get to a stage that, or a size yeah. uh, agency at the size that we are at. Um, so there's a certain hierarchy there, but the hierarchy is more in these functional teams, right? So we have um, a team for strategy and a team for account management uh, and a team for project management, a team for data, a team for media. And so the hierarchy really works as in um, leadership leads those different functional teams. Yeah. And all of those leaders report up to the CEO. So there is not a whole lot um, that there's not a whole lot of reporting structure that gets in the way of the sort of maybe lower down employees like myself. Yeah. And the even the CEO. Yeah. Um, and I've found that I've been able to reach out to the CEO who's very involved in our Slack channels <laughs> uh, and express concerns, express ideas. Um, we have a biannual uh, sort of retreat that we do every year nice. as a company. And one of the things that they try to encourage is this sort of brainstorming of ideas or a discussion of difficult topics. So, I feel like there is a approachability of the people that are at the top mm. in the mm. agency, whereas there was not an approachability in higher education. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an again another another wonderful uh, uh, insight that I that I think is not unique, right? Like to you, that's I think what f folks have been saying on this series and and across social media is is just this this just real challenge with being able to kind of approach leaders in a meaningful way. Um, and again, I, you know, these leaders also have a lot going on, so it's difficult to get time with them. Right. <laughs> Especially in the context of leading a, leading a division or, or leading an institution. Um, and so, but all that, all that to say, I do feel like we're entering a, a time and a season where there is kind of this expectation that everyone's sort of voice matters and being able to express your thoughts and your ideas and your opinions uh, are not just important, but um, welcomed, right, and, and and encouraged. And I think that there are these cool models that we're seeing in companies across the spectrum, but, but especially I feel like those who are who are hired agencies, at least the, those that I know, do a really good job at at least trying to facilitate environments that are conducive to, to the sharing and conducive to real, yeah. honest, timely feedback, which I, I, again, I feel like is can be sort of the antithesis of of how higher ed teams operate. Yes, yes. And I believe personally that Slack has gone a long way yeah. in making that a reality because without, you know, prior to utilizing that, and I think it's something that still isn't utilized in higher education, uh, although perhaps more so since the pandemic, that just opens up this whole world of communication, of ideas, of 
uh, discussion across teams that really wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. Um, it's 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 funny how how much culture can happen on Slack, right? And how how much <laughs> culture can happen in in channels and you know the power of different emojis. And I mean, like in hindsight, or you know, I shouldn't you know before the pandemic and whatnot. Um, I mean, we've used Slack for a, for a while, but the idea that like your culture at your company would primarily be experienced through that um, would have been impossible to think about years ago, a few, just a few years ago. And now it's it very much is the way that like I feel connected to my team, right? Is is through Slack and through the way that people react to different things on Slack. It's just a, it's just such a funny 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 idea right and to see how far we've come yes oh yeah we share i mean it's a replacement for us for all the hallway conversations we used to have right so we share pictures of food and we share kudos every time and that's something that's very encouraged uh every time somebody does something that is worth a shout out yeah that's all on and we see things every day every day people are getting kudos uh, and it's it's really inspiring to see that, to see the fruition of some really great work. So it's it's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple final questions for you, for you, Natalie. First and foremost, um, is is there anything that the leadership at RIT could have done differently to to have inspired you to stay? If there's anything they could have done differently. Uh, certainly more flexibility would have been great. But I think really it was the lack of thought into the university culture Hmm. and the work culture that became a problem. And that seems systemic to the industry itself. So I don't know that this is something that I could place on the team that I was in or Uh, or even some of the leadership elements, I think it's really this shift in higher education that we're seeing that's causing these culture shifts. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's really sort of forcing the culture to change in the industry. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. Very well said. Follow-up, kind of like related question here. Slightly different though. Like what what words of wisdom do you have for, for higher ed leaders who, you know, are finding themselves in this difficult moment, right? I'm, I'm sure many institutional leaders wish they had more budget and more resources to just double everyone's salaries and retain top talent, right? So they're, they're in this kind of challenging pickle themselves. And, and at the same time, many folks are looking across the aisle and thinking, hey, you know what, maybe I do want to have a little bit more balance in my life. Maybe I do want to, you know, work with 
people that challenge me to be better and greater and and maybe I want to make more money and maybe maybe the easy where the easiest way to do that is to go hop on over to an agency uh, how how would you advise higher ed leaders to to act right now any any things that the, the progressive ones that want that want to do something right again they can't they can't just double everyone's salary overnight right they can't just fix culture overnight but but what could they do um now to to make progress in in harnessing and, and really sort of like retaining their their best people well this is where i think i need to make a um I need to showcase one of the examples of marketing strategy please, and the way we sort of think about it. Um, when we think about marketing strategy for universities, we talk a lot about this sea of sameness, mm. right? Which basically means that all of the universities, when they put ads out, they basically look the same. Yep. Very similar shots of students and they use very similar language. And when we talk about how to make people stand out, how to make universities stand out from that sea of sameness, we say uh, we really try to dig into what makes them different, hmm. their culture different. And there are some universities that are able to answer this question really well, like RIT could tell you all about the geeky side. Um and there are some universities that don't have an answer or their answer is, well, we're the university for everyone. And what that means is that you're not standing out, that you're not doing anything different. And I think the my recommendations in terms of hiring for universities come down to my recommendations for establishing culture in the university, that you really need to sort of establish culture, perhaps with students hmm. first, hmm. that if you don't have a culture that you can determine right now, you need to sort of build that. You need to say, okay, who do we want our students to be? Who do we want them to be? Not just what degrees do we want them to obtain, but who do we want them to be as people? What differences do we want them to make? What do we want them to be known for so that we can be known for that? And I think in terms of hiring, what it comes down to, I think higher education is never going to be able to compete with a lot of the corporate industries out there yeah. in terms of salaries. Yeah. So what that means is that uh, certainly the benefits in higher education are great and very competitive. But I think what it comes down to is you need to have a great work culture. Mm. And in order to have that, you need to be able to say what the university culture is in order to hire people that are going to be uh, engaged by that culture, yeah. So that's sort of that's sort of a long term solution, but I think that's what you need. What I the first thing that popped into my head when you were saying that too is like, you know, competitive culture. Like, what does it look like to have a like a you, we talk about sort of competitive salaries, competitive benefits, right? What does it look like to have a competitive culture to to an organization that someone might want to go work for, right? And like, how, how can you compete on culture? And in theory, right, culture is a, a, a quote unquote easier thing to compete on, right? It doesn't necessarily require more resources, right? Or, or you know, more more money. It, you, you, it could require that, right? Um, but but it doesn't necessarily require that. So So what does it look like to, for those people that really are going to make a job choice primarily based off of culture, what does it look like to have the best culture in your particular region, the best culture, right, in your particular, um, you know, category of school, whatever, whatever it might be, 
Um, if you can't compete, if you can't be competitive at the salary level, if you're struggling to be even more, you know, any more competitive than you are at the benefits level, what does it look like to be competitive at the cultural level? Yes. Yes. And how do you make sure that leadership implements that in the right way? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Natalie, this has been, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking time to, to share your story. Um, I guess my final, final question for you is what words of encouragement would you give to, or words of advice would you give to anyone who is still in higher ed, who, who's, who might be tuning in and they're thinking about making a switch? They haven't made the switch yet. Uh, any, any kind of uh, bits of, of, of wisdom for them? Oh, gosh, I hate, I hate to recommend give them advice in terms of leaving because I hate to tell anybody to leave higher education because it's an industry I'm so passionate about. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of if you are someone that is considering leaving the higher education industry or just leaving your role in higher education uh, and perhaps staying in the industry, but doing something different, I think you need to think about why you decided to work in higher education, what you liked about it, Hmm. and ensure that your move aligns with what you're seeking, what you're passionate about. Because like me, I was very uh, extremely passionate about the culture and about the the desire for creativity. And I was lucky to be able to find that elsewhere. Um, but I think a lot of people might say uh, that they are looking for a job because of the benefits, because of the salary. And, and those are fantastic things. And those are the right things to be looking for. But I think in terms of personal satisfaction in work, Mm. you really need to be able to identify something that speaks to you. Very, very well said. Well, Natalie, this has been great. If folks want to reach out and just hear a little bit more about your story or ask you a couple follow-up questions, what's what's the best way for them to do so? I can be found on Instagram. I I have to say I don't really tweet anymore. Okay. There's okay. a Twitter out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. I have got an email address. Yeah. Why don't we just go ahead? And we'll drop your email address if that's okay with you at the in the show notes below. So folks, if you want to connect with Natalie and learn a little bit more about her and her story, ask her some questions. Just scroll on down to the show notes, and uh, you can send her an email. Thank you so much, Zach. Hey y'all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.